Hello, everybody, and welcome to 32, a podcast by the people behind the digital magazine 28. I'm your co-host, Eric Wire, and I'm here with my brother and other co-host, Greg Wire. Hey, everybody. And I'm incredibly excited to have Chris Bozone here, who's a member of Cadabra Records, which is an amazing record label that actually produces spoken word recordings of weird fiction that is accompanied by music as well as amazing artwork. And they do it for really classic authors such as like H.P. Lovecraft, Edgar Allan Poe, and newer authors like Thomas Ligotti. But yeah, really happy to have you here, Chris. Thanks so much, Eric and Greg. I really appreciate you having me on and spotlighting Cadabra. Yeah, no, I'm really excited to just talk about Cadabra Records. It's something that actually, Greg, you introduced me to a number of years ago and just really excited me because I feel a lot of like myself and probably a lot of people in sort of this general hobby and such grew up reading weird fiction, particularly stuff like H.P. Lovecraft, but others maybe Clark Ashton Smith or different authors. And that sort of weird horror tales have really done a lot to kind of influence and inspire us throughout the years. And um, a lot in a lot of cases, there's stuff that I would like good movies to be made out of, but they often never really happen, particularly with stuff like H.P. Lovecraft, which there's so much of that fear of the unknown and it's difficult to convey. So to see that there is as a record label that focuses on just choosing excellent readers to read these stories in a very um, powerful way and then accompany that with music pre- composed specifically for those pieces is like really exciting to me. And then just to see that you have had such a large catalog of different authors. But um, kind of with that in mind, could you tell us a little bit about how this sort of crazy idea of putting these weird tales to like audio and such came to be? Because it seems like something that is just a good idea with a lot of these things you kind of think about, like reading ghost stories around a campfire or something like that. And yeah, how, how did this come about? Yeah, so Jonathan Dennison, the head of Cadabra, the label founder, around 2012, there was a lot of interest and excitement around horror soundtracks mm-hmm. with Spencer Hickman of Death Waltz starting to put out a lot of exciting Euro horror soundtracks, you know, people like Fabio Fritzi and also on the state side, John Carpenter and so forth. And I know that Jonathan was really inspired by that. And he was thinking about while there was this rising interest in horror film soundtracks being released for the first time in many years at that point, Um, He was always a long-term fan of weird fiction and horror fiction and wanted to create a label that was unlike anything else. And it comes from a tradition of sorts. There is the Cademan record label that was putting out 
um, performances of short fiction and poetry, you know, everything from Lovecraft records to Poe records, but, you know, also uh, very classic literature that had nothing to do with horror, et cetera. Okay. Jonathan was inspired by the horror aspect Mm -hmm. of those series of records but he wanted to do something entirely different with them in that give them a cinematic soundtrack. And that had never been done before. These readings on Cademan records, um, as great as they were and are, um, they were just the readings, but it brought it to a whole new level to have a soundtrack that is cinematic and treat it like a film soundtrack for readings of weird fiction and horror. Yeah, it seems like a really good uh, merger of two great things together to sort of synergistically strengthen each other. Absolutely. Yeah, because I think I saw that maybe the first like official Kadabra record was maybe released in around uh, 2015. Then since then, you had a, a whole host of other ones done as well. And towards that end do you you are actually kind of involved in cadabra by doing some of the music and stuff as well correct yeah so there was a few years of the label where the first one that you were referring to the koi record that was kind of a a test run if you will in that it didn't have a soundtrack but after that very first record Ever since then, all of the readings were accompanied by a musical score. Okay. Yeah. So um, basically, there there were a series of records where um, you know in the very early years there you know were kind of like drone based soundscape type scores, and then uh, it just kept getting more and more ambitious in terms of having a more cinematic feel. And Jonathan started partnering up with some real heavyweights like Maurizio Guerrani of Goblin, Fabio Fritzi, who he's done a number of records with and so many masterpieces at this point. And, uh, you know, things have kind of come full circle from that beginning inspiration stage in the sense that the first Death Waltz record was Zombie. And now here we are weeks away, I believe, from Fabio doing a brand new composer's cut of Zombie for Cadaver Records. So this is a reimagined version of Zombie where he's gone back to the major themes and everything we love about that phenomenal and legendary score for the Lucio Fulci film. Mm -hmm. But he has kind of tweaked some of it and added some parts, added some new textures and, and, and interplay within it. And it's an absolutely unbelievable record, just as the Beyond Composers cut was. And that's kind of what started things a few years back in terms of these composers. Okay, com- that's cool. Yeah, I was going to say something about that, because when you had when Cadaver had re- released that composers cut for the Beyond, um, they had done a tour around the United States where there were screenings of the film and Fabio and his band were there to perform along with the screening of the film. And I actually got to go to see that in Philadelphia, which was particularly neat. 
So it's cool to see the the record label beyond just celebrating weird fiction, also playing an active part in trying to preserve film soundtracks and get people, maybe even young horror fans that aren't even familiar with some of those films to be excited about them as well. Completely. Yeah. I was at that Philly show as well for the beyond composers cut and it was just phenomenal. You know, having seen the beyond so many times and it being a personal favorite of mine, both the film itself by Fulci and Fritzi's absolutely unbelievable soundtrack, one of my all time favorite soundtracks, um, it brought it to an, another level to see it live with the film playing. It was just unbelievable. So I really hope that that happens in the not too distant future for the zombie composers cut. Yeah, that would that would be amazing. Well, this kind of leads me to a question. It's amazing how far the label has come and in such a short time. Do you can you speak a little bit about how like Jonathan and Cadaver as a whole kind of goes about fostering these relationships as well as just like picking who would be a good person to read something like the Dunwich Horror or even just like picking out someone like yourself to compose music like that seems a fairly daunting but important task to really preserve as well as show the world like how excellent and timeless these things are. Absolutely. So yeah, so Jonathan, he's a master at putting these teams together. And he's also masterful in selecting, you know, what will captivate audiences and what will take the label and this art form to the next level. And, you know, he is very, very good at selecting the, the, the voice actor, the musical project, the artist, all as a team of sorts. And, you know, these are for immortal works of fiction. And the idea behind it is to have something that goes down in the history books, that whether you hear it when it first comes out or you're someone in a record store that stumbles upon this beautiful art and you're drawn in through that decades later or however many years later, that this is something that will stand the test of time. So Jonathan does every oversees every single aspect of the production with great eye for detail and making sure that, you know, this is something that's going to last through the ages, just like the work itself. So, you know, he is very fortunate to have built up great relationships with some of the absolute best talent in the entire world when it comes to voice acting. So Andrew Lehman, he is the voice of Lovecraft. And to date, he has done every single Lovecraft record. And, you know, after listening to all these amazing productions, I couldn't imagine anyone else doing Lovecraft. And um, for... Yeah, yeah, I agree. I feel like whenever I put on one of the records, it feels like rekindling with like an old friend or whatever. Like, oh, yes, I kind of know what I'm in store for. And it's, yeah, kind of comforting in a way, but also really helps. Isn't Andrew uh, like a founder of the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society? So like he has been well well involved with just dealing with... um. H.P. Lovecraft's legacy in general. 
Oh yeah. You know, he is, he's a major, major figure in this world. You know, he's done everything from making feature length film adaptations to, he puts on, um, you know, a number of, of Lovecraft related, um, works through his historical society and, and so forth. But back to the, the voice, uh, talent for Cadabra, you know, there's also John Paget, just like Andrew Lehman is Lovecraft with his voice. John Paget is the voice of Thomas Ligotti. And, you know, he is someone that has just perfectly, you know, gripped on to the spirit and feel of Thomas Ligotti and um, has just done such magical work in voicing Ligotti's poetry, um, his short stories and so forth. And and it goes on in terms of the talent, you know, Robert Lloyd Perry, who just performed the Willows at at the Nightlands Festival, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. That was absolutely gripping and um, just phenomenal. And then Lawrence R. Harvey, he's the master of the strange, the unusual, the perverse. So, you know, the the roster of talent is just uh, unbelievable. And, and that, you know, we haven't even gotten to, to the art, which, which we'll cover later, I'm sure. Well, so you have been mentioning Thomas Ligotti. And I feel like a lot of our listeners are probably familiar with H.P. Lovecraft and Edgar Allan Poe and whatnot, but perhaps might not be familiar with Thomas Ligotti, who's a currently living artist or author, rather. Um, and as a matter of fact, I first became aware of Thomas Ligotti from... I think it was Cadabra's first live performance in Philadelphia, uh, John Paget um, and yourself performing Thomas Ligotti's The Bungalow House. And so that's how I first became aware of Thomas Ligotti. Yeah, that was a really magical evening. Um, and thanks for doing such a nice write-up on that evening, as well as the Clown Puppet event from last summer. Oh, yeah. I'm always trying to get people interested in what I think to be the most exciting record label around. This was a write-up on, I think, Greg, your music blog, Fine Enough, I suppose, which we'll put a link for that in the podcast description if people want to read about it or see some photos. But But so anyway, Thomas Ligotti, how had you come across his work? you, You were my guess is probably familiar with it before you started to do the music for the bungalow house. So could you talk a little bit about Ligotti and tell our listeners why they should be reading Thomas Ligotti? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I have been a, a longtime fan of Thomas Ligotti's work since, um, you know, the, the late nineties, mid to late nineties. And when I was in high school and a teenager, so um, basically Thomas Ligotti got me into weird fiction. You know, usually it goes the other way around where you build up to Mm -hmm. someone like Ligotti. And, you know, I'd read some Lovecraft and I'd read some Poe and really enjoyed it, but I didn't get fully immersed into weird fiction until I started reading Ligotti's work. Ligotti's work just connected with me on another level entirely. So, you know, I just could feel it 
so much. It was just so electrifying and, and exciting and unusual and unlike anything I'd ever read. And that's still the case all these years later. So how would you describe his work? Because it's, it's a little bit different from like some of Lovecraftian stuff. There's all obviously the elder ones and kind of there is talk of weird creatures and stuff that often don't even necessarily end up in the story much. It's more like the fear of them. Whereas I feel Ligotti deals a lot more in like dreamscapes and your place within reality. Absolutely. I think that's a good way to describe it. A difficult thing to write, and I think he does a really good job of conveying this sort of dreamlike atmosphere. But yeah, I think he can sometimes be a little bit hard to describe. Yeah, and that's part of the appeal for me, is it is this very dreamlike state, and it is very murky, though there is this potency to his stories, this ability to really creep under your skin and write stories that stay with you and kind of permeate your headspace for long after you've read it or experienced it in some form, whether, you know, you're listening to John Padgett, read it on a cadaver records, or you're just, you know, reading, reading the book or what have you. And, um, you know, it's, it's much more psychological and yeah, I feel every time I read something by him, there seems to be so many layers to the stories and different things you can pull out upon additional readings. And then as from uh, as far as I understand, the Gotti doesn't tend to really comment on any of his work. He puts it out there and like lets, I guess, sort of the reader decide like what to make of that. And I almost think that kind of makes it better in the sense that there isn't like some official stance on like, oh yes, this character was insane or no, they were not, or this wasn't real. And I think that kind of adds to the enigma behind the stuff and allows the reader to become a little bit more personally invested in the tales. And like you say, for it to sort of permeate and stick around in your head long after yeah. And, you know, there's there's connections and threads on an abstract level, like, you know, unreliable narrators mm-hmm. and things of that nature. But but, yeah, it's coming from a different kind of, of headspace and taking it to a different place, which I think is is really um, exciting. And, you know, it's 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 this this style that's so full of dread and and dreamlike states of mind that goes into that so heavily and full on that it, it, it is really unlike anything I've ever read. One thing that I can also say is people may be familiar with Ligotti in some sense, even if they don't know his name from the first season of the show, True Detective, which True Detective, one of the characters in that, Rust Cole, has a very pessimistic outlook on life. And from my understanding, a lot of that outlook was largely lifted or at least heavily inspired by Ligotti, particularly his nonfiction work, The Conspiracy Against the Human Race. So some of that, the nihilism and pessimism in that, at least the first season, 
was at least clearly inspired by Legati. And I almost feel like that was one of the defining characteristics of the show that ha- that really helped set the tone and pace of it. That, yeah, I feel it, it owes a lot to Legati in that way. <laughs> it, are, did you did you see that, Chris? Did I you did. See yeah. Yeah. I, I know what you're what you're talking about. Yeah, the 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 monologues in particular in the first <laughs> yeah. few episodes. Yeah. Yeah, but kind of bringing it back to um, Cadabra. The, so the first Cadabra Thomas Legati release was the first release that I was a part of um, doing soundtrack work for Cadabra, and that and that is the Bungalow House, and um, that was one of my absolute favorite, and is one of my absolute favorite Thomas Legati stories. So, you know, I had met Jonathan at a Fabio Fritzi show when it was, I believe that the first time that um, they had worked together for the Lovecraft record picture, um, picture of the house or picture in the house. He was playing, I think in the Philly show, he was premiering a few cues from that record, just playing it instrumentally, no reading or anything like that in mixed in with his um, Fritzy to, to Fulci set. And I knew Jonathan was going to be there because I think he had posted something along those lines. And I wanted to uh, fill in some of my, my cadaver collection. Um, there was a few titles I didn't have. So I was, I reached out to him in advance for the first time and just asked him if you know, he's, mm-hmm. he's going to bring a few things. He kindly brought a few things. And uh, then we just got on to talking about the label, my love for the label and um, mostly Thomas Ligotti. And, um, you know, we just kind of hit it off and had a lot of similar interests and I sent him some music afterwards. Um, just really wasn't a pitch or anything like that. It was just, you know, you meet someone cool and you want to share what you do because you really yeah. admire what they do. And I have to thank my, my wife, Julia, because she had kind of forced me to put a basic website together that had some music samples and such of work that I had done. It was just sitting on mm-hmm. for myself and, you know, outside of sharing it with friends and so yeah. on, I wasn't actively trying to do anything with it. And she was like, you know, this is crazy. You have to put a site together at least so you have something handy. So I had sent that to Jonathan cause I just recently created it. And then a few weeks later, he reached out to me and said, Hey, what do you think about trying your hand at the bungalow house? Which I never even thought of, you know, potentially doing a soundtrack. I just loved the label. Mm-hmm. So, um, but because I was so familiar with the story, I had immediate ideas for it. And, you know, I wanted to kind of tap into that dreamlike space that the bungalow house occupies, but also, had very clear ideas for, you know, what's referred to repeatedly in that story as killing sadness. So kind of this melancholy that's mm-hmm. weaving in and out of the tale. So, you know, I wanted to treat it with electronics, but also acoustic instrumentation like piano and uh, acoustic guitar, finger-picked acoustic guitar. So there was this real kind of juxtaposition of these, you know, states of mental derangement through electronics and so forth. But then also the underlying sadness that creeps in and out of the story. 
Well, the story itself is a very interesting one, and it was my first introduction to Lovecraft at your performance of it in Philadelphia. You mean Thomas Ligotti, right? Your introduction to Thomas Ligotti. Well, I mean, it was also, I guess, the first Kadabra record I heard. It was my introduction to your work, too, Chris. (laughs) But um, very interesting story about a gentleman who's going to an art gallery, and he finds basically a tape of somebody describing a really the interior of a really decrepit bungalow house infested with like vermin and such and him kind of dwelling upon that particular tape and potentially finding somebody that has a similar outlook on life that he kind of thought he was unique in that way originally but then determines that maybe he wasn't unique in it um very interesting it was great. Yeah, and to be honest, it was that show that, yeah, Greg, you got the Kadabra release of that and got it for me because I wasn't able to attend it. And it was really cool. Like, I feel I had a record player and the time in my apartment at the time, like, I hadn't really used it, the record player in a while and, like, just cleaned everything off, like, turned out the lights and just listen to this kind of weird creepy tale and it was really really cool but like one thing that i was really impressed upon first seeing this bungalow house recording was just picking up the the record was in this really high quality double gatefold jacket with this really evocative artwork on there and then inside there was some nice like scholarly work talking about the author and such and the story and it kind of its place within horror fiction to then pull out the record is like a really thick like 150 gram record and then just everything scream quality and then just putting it on and starting to listen to it it just kind of got better every second and I was just really struck with how much time and effort was put into that and was just impressed and kind of knew I had to experience more of Kadabra. What caused them to put Jonathan to like go so heavy into producing everything like this? Well, what Jonathan is doing is completely unparalleled on every level. No one has done this with weird fiction and horror fiction in the school, you know, having scores set to these readings these amazing readings and then the level of production that he oversees and masterminds on every single level is just astonishing I mean, it, 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 he's a visionary truly and what he puts together in its totality just floors you again and again and again and he keeps you know upping himself and the bungalow house, even though I had had every cadaver release to date, I remember getting that in the mail and it just blew my mind. Uh, you know, the whole experience of the super thick gatefold, the art by Jason Barnett, the booklet, the vinyl itself, the whole package, just unbelievable. 
And I totally know what you mean in terms of it being, you know, this sensation that you want to have again and again, but with other records. And, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's more Ligotti records, you dive into the Lovecraft records, you check out the Clark Ashton Smith records, um, things like Edgar Rampo, whatever it might be, you're entering all of these unbelievable worlds. And I liken it to a lot of labels and artists that were most important to me growing up. It wasn't just the record itself. It represented something much greater than that. And what that is, is you're entering worlds in which you're learning so much. Mm-hmm. You're learning so much about literature. You're learning so much about art. You're learning so much about history. Um, you have new favorite authors and poets. You have new favorite visual artists who are creating, you know, absolutely earth shattering interpretations of this work that Jonathan has commissioned for these records. So, you know, he is really unlike anyone else out there when it comes to that grand vision and executing that vision and doing so again and again and again. Yeah. Well, Jonathan, he's an artist himself, right? Like I think in the Ligotti's new um, release of poetry, pictures of apocalypse, he did, the artwork for some of that. So I guess that I think maybe speaks to his wanting to get everything right, to put forward the best face and preserve these things for all time, I guess. Absolutely. So Jonathan is able to work so well with everyone that he works with because he's a great and very giving guy. And, you know, God, guides people through the process as much as needed. But also he has the insights and skill sets from being a visual artist himself and is able to work with the visual artists from a a know-how of what he does as a visual artist. Also, he's an incredibly accomplished musician. So he knows music composition and he knows how, what works and what doesn't and, you know, what to pull back on and what to accentuate and expand upon and so forth. So, you know, he can speak to uh, different artists in a multitude of ways through his personal experiences and his expertise. Well, so to touch back a little bit about the overall experience of listening to one of those records what i think is particularly neat about it is like a lot of the lovecraft stories like i had read all of those stories when i was younger and reread them over the years and i was have been surprised how much they can take something the releases can take something that i already knew and love and seem to add a new vigor or new life to it and i'm just imagining some people that maybe they never even read lovecraft and finding an author who's been dead for a long time and finding his work through Cadabra, how neat it would be to discover it. Your music, John Paget's work, like Audie's work from the performance that I saw you all put on of the bungalow house. And that I think is the highlight of the live experiences I've had, like with performance in my life. Like I was astounded by that. Wow. Uh, that's 
that's really wonderful to hear and really gratifying because when we're performing these works, it's very powerful. And John and I, John Paget and I, you know, more so than anyone else um, on the Cadabra roster to date, just out of, um, you know, good fortune, we've been able to perform Legati works for a number of years now, starting with the bungalow house at Jeremy Hush's wonderful convent. So that was the, he hosted Jeremy Hush, one of the absolutely extraordinary visual artists for Cadabra, who's done so many of the Fritzy covers. You know, he's done a number of Lovecraft covers for the label and, um, and much more. Um, he has this beautiful art gallery called the convent and that's where the bungalow house was performed live. And I remember, you know, just feeling this, this uh, strange sense of elation because, you know, this is very unusual and downbeat work in a number of ways, but it's, it was kind of this magical dark joy of sorts as uh, paraphrasing what John said recently about nightlands. Um, And, you know, I think that when people, experience this live it it clicks with them on another level because you know one might not think about or be conscious of all of the different aspects of precision that go into a cadaver records production but when it's right in front of you and you're seeing you know how it all works in terms of the reaction of music to the narrator and the narrator to the music and just the overall experience. Um, I think it, it kind of brings it to another level, or I hope when people um, see these works performed, whether they're poems or short stories or what have you. Yeah, no, I think it's really, really cool. Like I, I've seen a ton of bands and a ton of live performances in my day. And all of the Cadabra productions that I've seen live have been like amongst the most memorable. And like, even after Pat, you performed the bungalow house, then John read one of his stories that was also amazing that, Oh yeah. And I guess to touch back on the notion of coming to the label and not only are you hearing these great stories, but you're probably discovering new artists and new musicians like, I don't even remember how I came about Kadabra, whether it was from Instagram following some artists, and that's how I learned about Kadabra. But my first experience was before the the bungalow house, maybe a month before Kadabra had another old showing of Joe Con, the artist Joe Conberger's artwork for Kadabra at the convent, the same gallery beforehand, and I went to that. So I guess that's to say, like, from following the record, I found tons of great artists, musicians, readers, um, authors, all from that. So, Yeah, and that kind of goes right back to what I was saying about you're, you're entering all of these worlds. And, you know, you'll suddenly have all these new favorite authors Mm -hmm. and visual artists and musicians and voice actors and so on. So there's just so many layers to it and it's so incredibly rich. 
Yeah, I was. I think it's neat how it almost ends up seeming like you become part of a community that to like celebrate and just find more interesting artists, authors, and musicians and such. Um, do you know? Like, was the idea of doing live or live versions of these was that something that Jonathan had wanted to do for a while, or was just something that? like came into being with the Legati stuff like what pushed that element which now has culminated in actually holding this two-day nightlands festival yeah so i'm not exactly sure of the initial idea or moment i believe it was always in the back of jonathan's mind that it would be amazing to see these records perform live um I forget exactly how the bungalow house came about, but um, I knew it was something that, you know, was being kicked around for a bit. And then it was just the stars aligning and being able to do it. And Jeremy graciously hosting it and John Paget being able to come down um, or come up from new Orleans for it. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, it's been, absolutely magical ever since you know john and i at the the nightlands festival that you referenced someone was commenting to me during it or towards the end of it that seeing us perform live he went to this individual went to the pictures of apocalypse pre-event party that was at book restoration bindery in uh haddonfield new jersey which is a little little ways away from the Hamilton, New Jersey cathedral spot where the two day full day festival took place. And he was saying that seeing us a few days in a row, three days in a row performing mm-hmm. Legati, it was like seeing, seeing a band play, you know, and that was really wonderful to hear um, because it feels that way in terms of you know, kind of the, the energy that is surrounding those performances. Yeah, it was a really cool festival because it was like a Friday and a Saturday and like all pretty much all day, just a whole bunch of excellent stories read by like some ghost stories by or one ghost story by M.R. James, some Ligotti stuff, Lovecraft stuff, um, some Rampo work. And it was like just really nice. And like it was kind of said, it having listened to a bunch of the records, it is neat to see it all all together and performed live, you know, without cuts or anything like that. And to see how, how smoothly it all ran was really impressive and nice to just really be able to step back and just be immersed in the stories. Well, to touch on that, so Chris, you performed a lot almost all of the music for the that the two days of that festival and i guess also the the thursday evening pictures of apocalypse thing so what was that to have to what was that like to have to deal with and juggle performing like i don't know how many hours worth of material having to remember all of that material like that sounds like quite the challenge well, it was a fun challenge and it was, it was a lot of work and it was completely worth it 
because it was a deep, deep honor to be able to perform with so many absolutely stellar uh, voice actors. You know, Robert Lloyd Perry performing Count Magnus by M.R. James and The Willows by Algernon Blackwood. I mean, it was just phenomenal. And, you know, the three days in a row of performing with John, you know, the initial night of Pictures of Apocalypse, um, which was the book and record release that evening, followed by The Clown Puppet. And we also did Miss Rinaldi, Mrs. Rinaldi's Angel. And we did a number of kind of bonus sets, too, in that for The Clown Puppet, we, um, we played The Red Tower. Um, and then for a classic, uh, yeah, story. <laughs> yeah, we love performing that one. And then for Mrs. Rinaldi's Angel, we played I Have a Special Plan for This World and This Degenerate Little Town, which are, I know I speak for, for John and I and, and Jonathan, like some of Lagatti's absolute most uh, unbelievably uh, amazing poems. Um, so yeah, it was just a, a real absolute joy to perform all of these works. And then with Lawrence, I got to perform, Lawrence R. Harvey got to perform The Caterpillar by Edogawa Rampo. And um, that's one of my favorite Cadaver records to date. I absolutely adore that record. And Lawrence is just such an unbelievable talent and just sucks you in with this delicate voice that he has that just captivates you from beginning to end. And then, of course, you know, as we talked about earlier, Andrew Lehman being the voice of Lovecraft, um, it was just extraordinary to get to perform The Lurking Fear the first full day and then The Dunwich Horror, which was the the closing story that was performed it was just unbelievable seminal Lovecraft piece and like wow does he do a great job of like kind of getting into the headspace of like the the dialects and such of the people like the the sort of degenerate New England people that just is like second a, to none <laughs> a total master and you know it was performing with these living legends, you know, everybody from Robert to, to John, to Lawrence, to Andrew, I was talking to my longtime collaborator, Barry Knob, who was with me for all the performances. And he's produced every single cadaver record that I've been fortunate enough to be a part of. You know, we work out of a studio that he originally founded and that's where the clown puppet show was. So retro oh, city yeah, studios, yeah in um, Germantown, part of Philadelphia. So he started that studio, um, I want to say around 2008 or so. And I've been recording out of there with Barry as the producer engineer ever since, you know, so well before Cadabra. And then, you know, up until now, everything I've ever done of value is um, recorded, produced, engineered by Barry. And he's a, a master producer and he's also done a lot of incredible arrangements. So um, for, for Nightlands, um, the full days, thankfully, we had his expertise in um, kind of sound atmospherics. So what I was doing to 
kind of go back to your original question of like tackling it. So, um, yeah, you know, everything is meticulously mapped out. So basically, you know, for the full days of Nightlands, we had about, I don't know, 40, 50 page document where I outlined every single story, every single poem and had, you know, theme breaks okay, and yeah. transitions to the story. And, you know, this is kind of how I approach the records, but it's a little different live naturally. But, you know, when I get a project from Jonathan, let's just say for recording purposes, not the live experience, you know, I sit down with it and I, I read it. I listen to the reading. If it, or if I get a reading already, sometimes I'll want to do my homework and just mm-hmm. read the story or read the story before I get it. But, you know, I think it's really best when you have the reading and you know the tone of the reading. And yeah, how to, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. So most of the time I'll do that. But I'm sitting down with the book. I'm listening to the reading. And I'm marking up all of the sections as to how I see the flow of themes going. You know, what is the spirit of the music? What should the spirit of the music be? what should the instrumentation of that spirit consist of and what are all the, what are all the transitional breaks of themes? And I'll map that out into, you know, sections. And, um, for, for Nightlands, it was basically every single poem, every single short story had all of these, these breakdowns to the second of, you know, going off of the recordings yeah. Of at you know such and such line read that will end this theme and then that theme will emerge, etc. Yeah. Wow. So, That's intense. <laughs> yeah. So you know what what happened is, and I like to be in the moment. So you want to be with the reader. You're serving the story, and you're serving the performance of the story, and that's most important. So, you know, you have to strip away anything of, you know, this isn't this isn't solo music or anything like that. So you have to be very mindful of always serving those things, always. And um, within that, I think in the live experience and thankfully, you know, Barry is he's kind of playing atmospherics and manipulating sound collages that come Mm -hmm. from records of things that you know, he can run through effects live and, and play to me, but we kind of have it structured in such a way where his role isn't so much um, conventional parts, but more the interplay of sound mixture off of the themes that I'm performing live. So uh, the entirety of those three days, the pre-event um, and then the two full days of Nightlands, you know, I was playing everything live on everything from an assortment of different synthesizers that I brought to acoustic guitar, through affected guitar, through even some banjo and, 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 and odds and ends. Um, so all of that was live. But then Barry would always have kind of a bed of sound that was being that was drifting in and out of the mix. And sometimes that kind of you know, might be in the forefront uh, as I'm transitioning from one part to the next and so on and so forth. So we've been doing this live cadaver thing long enough that we kind of have a rhythm and a, uh, 
a language going that that we don't have to discuss that much, thankfully, because you know we he knows how to follow the structure and and so forth, and you know have a, a great kind of interplay of that. If, if that makes sense, having experience, yeah, yeah no, it does. Well, I think that I mean that certainly seems like very challenging to do that live, and did such an excellent job of it. But I feel it touches on something that I wanted to just mention about the Cadabra records and such. Like they're really well recorded and mixed. And like, I've always been impressed that, and you kind of touched on this, but that the music never seems to like dominate or take away from the actual reading themselves, but it just seems to, fit together very synergistically in a way that it kind of enhances and uplifts the story and the reading. And yeah, it always really impressed me that you were able to achieve that so well. And like with your work that you're able to balance that. And I think the care that you put into it shows. And I think talking about how you will, listen to the reading and like maybe have the story and make notes and such like i think that 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 shines through that all that goes into it oh well i'm very happy to hear that and thank you so much for the kind words they're they're most appreciated um yeah um you know uh, there's there's a weight that that goes into this work because you're you're working with things that have to, you know, live on for the ages, they're immortal works. And, um, you know, you want to do, you want to do your absolute best with that. And in terms of the, the production qualities and such, you know, Jonathan is able to link up with some of the absolute masters in the field. You know, Fabio Fritzi, um, is just someone who is one of the most extraordinary composers and film composers of all time. So, you know, that, that Jonathan and Fabio have done a series of just masterpiece after masterpiece, whether it's doing, you know, the Lovecraft record or it's uh, breaking ground with the eye of the cat which is the, the Mobius Hodorowsky record, which, you know, is something that everybody should check out. I mean, that's such an unusual, brilliant record where, you know, Fabio's interpreting a book that is a series of, of drawings and has no words. And he's interpreting the visual storytelling and putting it to this beautiful electronic score. Yeah, you know, it's really work- cool. I hadn't read it until... I, I saw that was being released and it was neat to kind of read the sort of, yeah, like the graphic novel comic strip alongside it and just, yeah, get immersed in that. Absolutely. And then you have, you know, a project like Anima Morte and, you know, they're just brilliant. You know, they are doing this kind of unique form of progressive rock that has these, you know, very dark undertones is extremely cinematic is, is just, you know, the production quality is, is as high as it gets. And, um, you know, very eclectic instrumentation. They're always pushing themselves to the next level. I know that, uh, you know, Frederick Klingwall 
um, is someone who is always experimenting with a number of, of different instruments and pushing the boundaries of where these productions can go and what's what's possible. And it's just a real joy to um, to listen to them. And and then you know, for me, uh, I've been so fortunate to work on a lot of, of different works with different voice artists and different authors and, and so forth. And, you know, I kind of talked about this earlier that, that Jonathan has this amazing knack to kind of put teams together. And there's all these, these different teams or kind of bands within the, the mm-hmm. world of Abra. Like for instance, like all like the, the up until very recently, like all the Legati records were um, had the, the art of Jason Barnett, um, John Paget reading Ligotti and myself doing the music. And I say up until very recently, because Jonathan just did this brilliant series of illustrations for Thomas Ligotti's brand new poetry cycle, Pictures of Apocalypse. And he illustrated every single poem and, you know, highly, highly recommend. Yeah, it was cool to see some of his work in one of the one of the releases when he's so kind of involved in all aspects of just the label itself. Oh yeah. And you know, Kairop Terra is doing um, absolutely uh, astonishing work with this new book imprint, which is an extension of Kadabra. So, you know, it's really exciting that, that Jonathan is, is now releasing, um, you know, new Ligotti work. We'll be reissuing more Ligotti work through Nocturne, which will have the spectral link part of it um, for the first time. And, you know, those are very out of print books. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it'll be great for people who, who don't have a copy to, to snap those up and also get pictures of Apocalypse, which just came out. But, um, you know, going going back to the, um, the, the soundtrack work, you know, for me at least, it's, you know, each author and team of sorts like, I, has a different kind of sound and approach. So, like, if I'm doing a Lovecraft story that Andrew Lehman is reading, I'll kind of pull out a different bag of tricks, if you will, musically speaking, than what I'll do for uh, a Ligotti record that John Paget is reading. And I'll do something different for a Lawrence R. Harvey record of, you know, whether it's Rampo, we've now done two Rampo records together, or we've done a, a couple Arthur Mackin records together, Lawrence and I, and um, it's done some really eclectic stuff as well, like like Thomas De Quincey's Suspira de Profundis and uh, Ora Pro Nobis and, and so forth. But the point is, is that I kind of like to approach each reader and, and author differently so that there's unique sounds and sound worlds within those different people this i I guess i feel i want to touch upon very briefly so you you also did the music to at the mountains of madness which is lovecraft's one short novel and i mean the recording is i think four hours and 30 minutes or something along the way so like that is astoundingly long to be able to compose a piece of music that fits with all that. And I think even more to like films, like people will do a score for a film, but the music's not playing the entire film. Mm-hmm. Whereas for all of these Cadabra works, you're providing a score that is accompanying the entire reading. So 
to be able to come up with like four hours of material is astounding. Well, that was a massive project, a massive labor of love. And, you know, Jonathan, again, he keeps taking the label to new heights. And that was certainly an amazing moment in the history of Cadaver Records. And, you know, everything from Jeremy Hush's incredible two triple panel gatefold um, uh, you know, sleeves that you open them up and it makes up the art when you put them together. Yeah. It's really Ooh. neat. Yeah. It's just incredible. And then Andrew Lehman, you know, performing that, um, legendary novella and, you know, getting the, the privilege to score such an important piece of literature. I mean, yeah, it was a ton of work and, you know, the, the craziest thing that I've done in terms of um, uh, music recording in the studio, in terms of just the, the sheer breadth and scope. Yeah, of the yeah. But, you know, I, I knew about it well in advance. And I was actually, that was one of those, because I knew it was such a big project, that I was prepping the music before I had Andrew's reading. And, you know, at that point, I had done a few Lovecraft records mm-hmm. at Lehman had narrated already. So I, I knew kind of like his rhythm and could anticipate um, what it would probably be like. And then I adapted what I was in the process of writing um, to the exact kind of rhythms and, and feels once I had the reading itself. And if I remember correctly, it was kind of coming in batches because, you know, you can't blast out at the mountains of madness <laughs> as a voice actor because uh, you'll have no voice midway through. Yeah, it's um, intense. And he reads it with such intensity. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so, yeah, so it was really building up a series of themes. And it was it was a phenomenal experience because, uh, like you said and correctly pointed out, Greg, you know, it's not like a film score in the sense that, you know, you hear – the voice artist reading the title of, of the work and who it's by on every cadaver records. That's how the cadaver records start, you know, at the mountains of madness by HP Lovecraft. And then from that moment on, (laughs) you are going to hear music. Um, So, uh, you know, there's of course little breaks, like, you know, you'll fade things out or have ends to things right before a chapter stop or what have Mm -hmm. you. So that's not to say it's full blast the entire time, but yeah, you're, you have sound atmospherics and themes and musical scoring for the entirety of all cadaver records. So yeah, it's another uh, very unique thing about it. So it was, it was really fun to kind of, um, you know, create an ebb and flow for something that massive and that important. Yeah. It wasn't abridged at all, which I think was cool in itself. Yes, yes. And I don't know if you guys saw this. Um, Jonathan, you know, teased something out. Very exciting. An 8 LP something? Like, what's that going to be? Can't say that. that It's a a very celebrated work and that it, you know, yet again, he's bringing it to the next level, Jonathan. And that I think people, I know people are going to be super psyched once um, that can be announced. But that might be some time until it's formally mm. announced. Um, but yeah, 
something that, I, uh, I feel cadaver all the stuff we've kind of been gushing about it a lot with like just the quality of artists writers musicians and such but i feel because of all that quality it when i feel when someone like gets exposed to it and experiences one of them like you become a pretty big like instant fan and like want to like listen to all of it which is neat and even just like at the nightlands festival like just being there like you know like they're all kind of your friends there you have such a common shared interest and that community is is fun and it, it's nice to sort of feel like a part of that and yeah, i'm glad you, you, you nailed it. does that you nailed it. yeah with community you know community i think was one of the most amazing aspects of nightlands i think it was a, a massive success from what I can tell in respect to people really connecting with all of the performances and just, um, you know, loving what they experienced on that front. But then beyond that, you know, Jonathan um, put all of these amazing artist vendors together and just really quality people. And, you know, you had people that publish amazing books like Hippocampus Press. You have people um, like Jeremy Hush and Matt Jaffe and Paul Romano, who are amazing artists in their own right. Dave Felton, um, Josh Yelly. I mean, the list the list goes on and on and on. And you know, it's really a testament to Jonathan because you know he has fostered and built this community where people just have deep levels of respect for one another and what everyone brings to the table and how talented everyone is in different ways. And I want to extend that to and make clear that I think Nightlands had this very um, harmonious feel in that I'm not saying this just for the people who, you know, are cadaver artists and so forth. I, I felt that way with every single person that attended every single person that I talked to is doing really interesting, important, and cool work and is a great person to boot. So, you know, when you have festivals like Nightlands that bring together amazing people that all share a love for weird fiction and horror and so forth, but yet also have very expansive interests that go far beyond that and diverse interests, it's just a wonderful thing to see unfold and and be a part of. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly, which one thing that kind of touches, like, I think all these different people can, like, kind of bring together new authors and such. And I think Kadabra has been doing a good job of kind of curating and finding new authors and, like, perhaps introducing people to weird fiction authors they might not have heard about. Like, I, before Kadabra, I didn't know of any of uh, Rand Poe's work. He's like a Japanese author that has, I guess, written a bunch of detective fiction as well as some weird, yeah, weird, creepy fiction. And, like, it's neat that some of those stories are essentially being brought to a new audience. And I think it's fun just to see Jonathan bring some of these stories over and I, I suspect like yourself and some of the other people involved have, like make suggestions and all that comes together in just 
a neat way that's kind of i feel just a service to weird fiction as a whole which i think is neat and i guess i can get to a question there like do you know um sort of what's involved in that and like how some of these authors are picked like obviously lovecraft is kind of the bread and butter of weird fiction but some of the others are perhaps a bit more esoteric yeah well you know jonathan has a real knack for taking chances and risks and supporting really esoteric and obscure writers and bringing more attention to those writers. So, um, you know, like very early on, he did an awesome record that Lawrence R. Harvey read, which was um, called No Ordinary Fairy. And it was a Roland Toper record. And, um, you know, Roland Toper is probably best known to most as writing The Tenant, which um, Roman Polanski adapted into, you know, feature film in mm-hmm. the 70s. But, um, you know, Roland Toper, his short stories are not that well known. And, you know, he takes chances like that, um, which is really amazing um, to, you know, shed light on people that really deserve more exposure and to speak to, uh, and he's constantly doing that. And, you know, uh, I, I've talked to a lot of people um, who, you know, those kind of more esoteric releases are their absolute favorite ones. But of course, you know, you need your bread and butter releases like Lovecraft and, and so forth. And, you know, those releases are absolutely uh, phenomenal in their own right. But it's cool that Jonathan can kind of straddle the line between, you know, you know, you know, a Lovecraft record uh, because it's going to be a brilliant cadaver production is is going to do well. Um, but then, you know, uh, be able to do and support these these smaller projects. So, um, in terms of taking suggestions, you know, I know Lawrence R. Harvey. He's very well read individual and has is full of great ideas. And yeah, Jonathan is very receptive to the, those ideas and people's ideas when. Um, they bring them to the table. So, you know, I know, um, Lawrence, uh, he told Jonathan about Spurs and, uh, I know Jonathan loves the the film freaks, but I think wasn't familiar with the Spurs connection, how Spurs, you know, um, was, was, was turned into freaks in part. Um, so that was something Lawrence, Lawrence brought to the table and, and was awesome. And I know he's brought, other really cool things to the table and yeah, I'll, I'll get to pitch things here and there. And, and thankfully some of them have turned into records like Suspiria de Profundis by Thomas De Quincey and um, you know, like the, the Carcosa Robert W Chambers poetry series um, is another one. And uh, yeah, so, so it's, it's really cool to be in an environment where, you know, you can kind of, uh, make suggestions and Jonathan is always receptive to, to cool ideas and whatnot. And then some things come together that, um, you know, kind of like uh, magically, if you will, for instance, we were, um, Jonathan, you know, of course, always wanted to do the willows by Algernon Blackwood, you know, naturally it's an absolute staple of weird fiction, et cetera. But Lovecraft said as much. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. For sure. Uh, I mean, it's a masterpiece. Um, but 
in terms of like the, the reality of like doing an unabridged version, you know, that might not be um, the safest bet because it would be very long. It would probably have to be three LPs, et cetera. So it just so happened that, um, you know, Robert Lloyd Perry, who has done magnificent work on the MR James record so far for Cadabra was working on a abridged an abridged version that he was doing the abridgment for of the willows, um, you know, to cut it down um, to its, its core essential being for perf- live performance reasons. And um, it just so happened that I hooked up with him around um, right before he was going to perform it uh, for the second time ever. And he shared his abridged version with me. And um, we, we kind of impromptu performed it at Necronomicon last, um, last summer. Uh, I had reached out to him about, you know, potentially performing another piece. And he said, well, you know, that wouldn't really work for such and such reasons, but I'm working on an abridged version of the Willows. And, you know, we, we talked about it. He shared it with me. I just kind of studied it and then um, wrote the preliminary score um, in the early morning hours um, before uh, the, the full days of Necronomicon. And then we performed it on the final night. And um, thankfully, people seemed to really like it. And I was kind of like, oh, well, you know, let's do a record of this. That would be awesome. You know, I'm really excited for the record. Like, I feel that uh, performance at uh, the Nightlands Festival was perhaps my favorite. And I mean, part of it maybe was just that I ha- had not read the story before. And it was just so like captivating and eerie that I, yeah, it was just so great. Yeah, I feel like I'm still kind of getting chills thinking about that performance. And I think that performance was the closest I have experienced to excitement as that I had when the, the bungalow house performance that I saw, like that was like perhaps the most excited and spellbound I had been at a live performance before. And that performance of the willows at Nightlands was the closest thing to that, that I've experienced since like, it was so great. Oh, that's, right. that's so awesome to hear. Yeah. Robert just blows my mind every time we've, we've performed that together and, um, you know, working on the record, the record will be coming out. Um, I want to say approximately late September, October ish. Okay. Uh, that's, yeah. So, that's exciting. Yeah. I think it's going to blow a lot of minds when people hear. Yeah, so Cadaver records, in addition to just releasing the individual records, they will do these subscription, uh, sets where they're like essentially the next like six months or so of releases like you can just get it and they'll just essentially send you all of them and I've, I've gotten like 10 and 11 and I wasn't sure like ah, do I have the money to put forth for 12 but like after hearing the willows it's just like well I'm ordering it on my phone now <laughs> like I can't I can't let it pass me by <laughs> Oh, that's, that's, that's great to hear. Um, yeah, no, um, I, I, you know, it's, it's an amazing record and, uh, you know, in terms of the, the live experience, certainly that was the case for the willows and, and again and again, throughout Nightlands, you know, I was talking to, to Barry Knob, um, 
my my musical partner um, afterwards, a few days after Nightlands. And, um, you know, we were kind of trading notes on how it was kind of surreal being up there throughout um, those two full days, especially, uh, and performing with all these absolutely phenomenal voice actors. And, you know, we kind of got so into the sound that that was happening that it was kind of like entering a, a trance state of sorts where you, you just become the piece that's being performed mm-hmm. almost to the point where like, even though you're following your, your script per se, um, you know, you almost forget about that at times. And, um, you know, I actually, as much as I like to plan things out, I also like to view live performances of this material as, you know, what I refer to as like a, a fixed improvisation mm-hmm. in that there might be times where I just throw out a whole section or sections of the plan because, you know, Robert is reading a certain part of the willows even more intensely this time. And I'm skipping the transition from this theme to the next, because I want to keep plugging away at the intensity that, that he's hitting this part of the story with. Or, you know, if um, if uh, John Paget is reading uh, This Degenerate Little Town in an even more reflective and subdued way than he has any previous time we've performed it live, I want to be able to respond to that accordingly. And, um, you know, also like the instrumentation that I have is going to change things too. For instance... At the um, Retro City Studios live show, um, I had a grand piano that, you know, that uh-huh. the studio has that I am fortunate enough to be able to record on. It's an absolutely insanely beautiful sounding Yamaha grand piano. And I've done a lot of recordings on that. So I have an intimacy with that piano. Mm-hmm. So I've done tons of tracking with it for Cadabra Records. So when we were performing... Um, both Clown Puppet, which is a piano-heavy record, and also um, also Degenerate Little Town, which is also piano-heavy, I could really let loose on that because I had a familiarity with that particular yeah. sounding instrument. Whereas I'm going to play it a little differently if I'm playing it on my my digital piano. And yeah. No, yeah, that that that's really cool. Um, one thing that I'd like to mention or just that it has somewhat been probably implied to the listeners but is worth putting out um all the cadabra records like they're only released in record form and i think that's somewhat of an interesting choice in a world that is like increasingly a digital one and that i mean certainly vinyl has had kind of a reinsurgent that's reinsurgence such that artists, bands, and such put out their things on vinyl, but still, like things like Spotify, Apple Music, and so forth, is really big. A lot of people, that's how they consume most of their musical content. Can you speak to why why it was chosen that there are only going to be released as records? Yeah, sure. And, you know, I think you've touched upon a lot of the reasons already in things you formally said in this conversation. And you've talked about 
how extraordinary every aspect of the production is from the booklets to the gatefold sleeves to the artwork to the tactile experience of, you know, you get the record in the mail or maybe you have a shop that carries Kadab records or whatever, and it's in your hand. And that tactile experience is something that cannot be recreated digitally. The fact that you can only experience a cadaver release as a vinyl record makes it more of a special experience. Um, as, as helpful as the digital world is in a myriad of ways, it's also disposable in many mm, ways yeah. and not as valued compared to the tactile, ritualistic nature of your setting time aside. If, you know, if it's like me, it's like I only listen to cadaver records when I can really focus on it. And I have a special kind of carved out time where, okay, my phone is off. I have no distractions unless, you know, something incredibly unexpected happens. I have the next hour free or I have the next two hour free, two hours free. And that is a special time to fully immerse myself in the particular world of that story or those poems or what have you. And, um, you know, the flipping the record over and uh, just all of those rituals that, that go with, with records. Yeah. I, I don't think you can really beat that. And, um, you know, it's, it's an absolutely magical thing when you have the right set of circumstances. Yeah, because I feel like even like the the Nightlands Festival and stuff, there's something like you are setting aside all this time to be like fully immersed in it. And I think the records themselves allow you to do somewhat of a similar thing that, yeah, you just, you're going to do this now. It's not like, oh, I'm going to run some errands and have this playing in the background. And I think that sort of deliberateness is neat and I think helps make Cadabra as special as it is. I do wonder, has it been something that they've considered to like maybe have like one or two short stories or something made digitally? Cause I feel it would, or sections of something. Cause I think for as incredible as Cadabra records is, it would be nice if, some people could kind of get a, a just a taste of like what what are these production values because like not everyone can necessarily go to a record a record store that has them and such and i feel that it would be nice to have a way for people to see what is like what they can expect from something even if it was just like a really short story or a section of it and admittedly i kind of feel maybe for the mountains of madness there was like a couple really short pieces or some of your music or whatnot but i feel that could potentially be helpful just because it it's hard to just through talking about it to convey like the magnitude of these things and i mean i guess we've been at it for over an hour now talking about it but i think there's actually hearing it really kind of changes your perspective of it. Yeah, that's fair. And, you know, as of now, there are no plans 
um, to put any full cadaver productions online. However, there are ways to hear excerpts. I know that um, it's not frequent, but I believe SoundCloud is the platform okay. that Jonathan will periodically put excerpts of records up. I don't think he's done it in a while, but and I haven't checked it in a while, but um, there was at least a handful, if not close to a dozen of excerpts from different records where you could hear three minutes from, okay. you know, X piece and f- maybe five minutes from Y piece and so forth. And further, there's little teasers here and there. Like I, I remember for mounds of madness, which you, which you referenced that there were um, some, some social media teasers where it would just be like mock-up art or what have you. And then you get to hear a clip of the record for several different clips leading up to that, to that pre-sale. And then um, just, uh, just this week, I can't remember if it was today or earlier in the week, um, Pickman's model, you know, so Andrew Lehman read Pickman's model, Anima Morte um, mm-hmm. did score. They both absolutely killed it yet again. It's an amazing record that people are going to love. And, um, anyhow, um, there, a little clip went up, um, this week at some point and maybe it's 30 seconds or a minute, but it gives you a taste. Okay. That's good. That's good. Cause yeah, I think it, it is nice to be able to get a, 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 yeah, like you said, a taste of what you can expect because yeah, well, to- it, it is kind of a cab- cadaver is doing something that really hasn't been done. So it's sometimes hard to like get a sense of what all this together adds to just like reading a tale yourself. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's hard being the first one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Does something. Jonathan is so ahead of the times that, you know, I often think, tell him, you know, things to the effect of, it's just a matter of time that people eventually catch up to this. And it's deeply appreciated, understood and respected on an even greater level than it already is. Cause I think when you're the first doing the first one doing anything in life, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're waiting for, you're waiting for people to catch up to where you're at. Well, so to touch on that a little bit, like I've talked to a number of people about Kadabra and I feel like a common response I've gotten is like, well, I don't really like audiobooks or like, I can't get into audiobooks. And admittedly, like, I'm not too big on audiobooks myself. Like, it's easy. Like, if I'm listening to an audiobook while driving or something, maybe, like, it's easy to zone out of it for a moment as you're paying attention to the road. And then I feel like, well, hell, I need to rewind this. So, like, I don't really like audiobooks. But the thing is, I feel all, all these cadaver releases, their own special thing that takes the stories beyond just a reading of the particular work that... I think everybody should experience them and I think they'd maybe change their minds about it. And with they're not being the easiest way to hear some of it, maybe it's harder for them to do that. Cause you did say that he does have a SoundCloud account that I don't think has been updated too recently. Um, but I don't know. I just want more people to find out about Kadabra cause it's like the coolest record label that I've, come across in in a long time and it's like at least it has created a fan in me and eric of 
I support their entire catalog. Like it <laughs> practically doesn't matter what's coming out next. It's going to be awesome. And I want it. Yeah. So. Well, that's, that's amazing to hear. And one quick thing in respect to the audiobook: these are not audiobooks. There, these are in no way, shape or form audiobooks because as you were driving at, they're much more than that. So, you know, whether you love audiobooks, you don't care for audiobooks, you're indifferent to them. Just know that this is a totally different thing because there are all of these elements that bring it to different places and places that, you know, have never, literary works have never been taken to these places before. And, you know, something also with Nightlands um, that was so amazing, the festival that Jonathan just put on. I mean, it was a Herculean task that he was able to put so many massively talented people together um, in the middle of nowhere in South Jersey at this amazing, strange space called Cathedral for two days um, that, you know, not only did you have all these phenomenal readers like Robert Lloyd Perry, uh, Lawrence R. Harvey, uh, John Paget, and Andrew Lehman, but you also had a uh, weird fiction scholar, Lovecraft expert, S.T. Joshi. S.T. Joshi has been at this for decades. And to have him be there and be a presence in which he was giving introductions and contextualizing how important these works of weird fiction are, it was just amazing to, to yeah, experience. Yeah, it was amazing to meet him and see him. Like, I feel he's like the preeminent certainly Lovecraft scholar and like even you yeah, Greg I remember what like in high school you wrote like a report or something about H.P. Lovecraft and obviously it was like using Joshi's work and his collect the collected letters and things like that and it's neat to see like yeah even such a um, preeminent figure in that scholarly work is involved in Cadabra to help contextualize the the pieces and such and like i think that that's amazing and sort of speaks to the level of quality that is you know, yeah, being produced and maybe i was 16 or 17 in high school yeah i wrote uh, a report about hp lovecraft and yeah i got a lot of research stuff from from joshi to help write that and like yeah that was i was what 16 or 17 then i'm 37 now so like Joshi's criticism and research has kind of been part of my life as long as my reading of Lovecraft. So to be able to see him there too, like it just made it all the neater. It's sort of full circle in a way. Yeah, yeah. Which is oh, yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it was, it was massively important that he was there and, you know, for people that have yet to check out the label, um, please note that, Joshi has liner notes for many, many releases throughout the Cadabra catalog. So, you know, he's an expert on so much of weird fiction. It's, uh, it's unbelievable. You know, he's done incredible liner notes to the Ambrose Bierce records. He's done um, the Lovecraft records. Um, yeah, the Bierce know. stuff I thought was really neat to be introduced to him and like his, uh, like, being involved in the civil war and then like how he lived through that and became like 
an editor and but was still writing fiction and publishing it and then how he like disappeared into Mexico I believe and it's just like so peculiar and interesting and in a way just to be able to put some historical context and the time frame at which these things were written that is something that I don't think I normally get when I when I read things and I think that helps yeah frame the frame the the piece as well which is neat oh yeah I mean Bierce was an absolutely fascinating man and led so many different lives within his life and uh you know what a wild man what an adventurer and it's it's crazy to think that he was so great at writing weird fiction and that was just kind of a, a small piece of the many many things he did in his lifetime but he did it with with such mastery that you'd think that that was kind of like the only thing that he did throughout his life mm-hmm. but it's very far from it so yeah uh, he's a he was quite he, he wrote what is it like inhabitant of carcosa yeah yeah so basically an inhabitant of carcosa um, you know, that greatly inspired Robert W. Chambers, who, you know, um, within um, the King in Yellow, you know, mm. Carcosa keeps coming up again and again and again as this uh, kind of fictitious place, uh, kind of like apocalyptic landscape of sorts and so forth. And um, he's, he's directly referencing Beers, an inhabitant of Carcosa. Well, that's also, to come full circle, that's also... Uh, in True Detective as well, Carcosa and yes. like The King in Yellow and so forth. And I feel anyone who's sort of interested in kind of weird fiction and things are familiar at, with that. And certainly with all kind of the HP Lovecraft media board games and things like that, they're certainly featured prominently. Yeah. Um, one thing I'd also like to at least mention briefly, and it actually came up a bit, but in addition to the records, there's also kind of like a side component of Cadabra called Chiroptera Press, which functions as just a way to um, release nicely printed versions of various short stories or collection of short stories that will often have some artwork and stuff as well. And recently, yeah, published... Legati's like first new uh writing in a long time in like pictures of the apocalypse but um do you know was that is is that a more recent thing or is that is has Chiroptera been around for almost as long as Cadabra I'm not sure yeah so Chiroptera is relatively new um it has a few releases under its belt it's an extension of Cadabra so Jonathan was putting out these really incredible chapbooks um, periodically that were called Cadabra Illustrated. And the really, one of the really cool things about Cadabra is beyond the records, you know, he had this series. And um, it was cool because, you know, like, for instance, um, Andrew Lehman and I did um, a, rec- a double LP set of Color Out of Space by Lovecraft. And Karmazid, who does much of the absolutely brilliant work, I mean, he's basically like, 
you know, the reincarnation of Virgil Finlay with, uh, you know, new, new touches in his own magic that he's adding to things. But he did the record art, which is extraordinary and a masterpiece unto itself. Um, but then for the Cadabra Illustrated, which is this beautifully bound book that prints the, um, you know, the, the story in full and then will be illustrated throughout by a, you know, a cast of, of Cadabra artists. And for that particular one, it was Joe Kinberger uh, who did the color out of space book version for Cadabra, the Cadabra illustrated. And that is what Greg was talking about. Yeah. Yeah. My first experience yeah. with Cadabra was for at the convent, Jeremy Hush's little gallery was showing Joe Kinberger's artwork for that little book and to release that. Um, yeah. I think I have a copy of that. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I, bought most of the cadaver illustrated chat books but i i guess i i came to it maybe a little bit late because my yeah. first exposure to it was at Kineberger's right little showing there so, so you know great visual artists like matt jaffe like um um dave felton and and so forth have contributed to the cadaver illustrated line so that's just to kind of give historical context of there was always kind of this buildup to Chiroptera. And now Chiroptera, you know, um, is releasing Legati books and um, they're putting out very imminently a Fabio Fritzi um, autobiography. And it's the first English translation of that book. Um, it was only released once thus far, I believe, in Italy. Um, so this will be the, the English language debut of that book. And, um, you know, for Pictures of Apocalypse, it's the first new work from Tom in uh, over 10 years, I believe. So, you know, this is a, a really extraordinary cycle of poems and um, that are all, you know, uh, as the title suggests, um, different visions and worlds within different uh, forms of apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, the the poems are so powerful unto themselves, but then coupled with Jonathan's brilliant drawings, he he did a drawing for every single poem. So he illustrated every single poem. And, you know, to see them together is, is really quite something. Yeah, no, it, it's really cool. And I think it seems like kind of a natural extension of cadabra like having a way to get some of just the the printed work as well and particularly like some of legati's work like a lot of it isn't easy to get in printed form anymore because they had really small print runs and it's nice to see that it becoming at least a little bit more accessible but still in a very like high quality yeah and you know the kind of connection in terms of Cadabra and Chiroptera beyond, um, you know, uh, writers and, 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 you know, weird fiction, horror, et cetera, is the quality. So, you know, just like the records, Jonathan is using the highest quality paper stock binding and so forth. And they're works of art by themselves. So, you know, just like Cadabra is a boutique record label, Chiroptera is a boutique book imprint. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, really, really nice. Um, well, I guess maybe we can start to wind this down a little bit. Like we've been talking for quite a while here, but uh, can you just speak a little to like what we can expect to be coming next from uh, Cadabra Records? Absolutely. So yeah, as 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 you guys were mentioning earlier. Um, it is up to subscription 12. So Jonathan does a service where periodically one can um, enter a subscription if they so choose to do so, that will give you a number of titles within that subscription. And um, subscription 12 is, is, has just started really. So it's open, you know, you can still enter it as far as I understand. And um, there's a, a, a series of really exciting and eclectic titles. So um, The Vampire by John Polidori, which is a precursor to Bram Stoker's Dracula, is one of the titles. Algernon Blackwood's The Willows, which we've talked about mm-hmm. uh, different points of this talk, um, is, a, is a stellar release that's coming out soon. Pictures of Apocalypse. Um, I think some people that are subscribing have just started to receive this, this amazing record that yeah, is I just did for that matter. <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. So I'm really excited for people to hear it. John Paget's performances of Tom's poems are just uh, really earth shattering. And it was an absolute uh, honor as always to work on these Tom records, but um, you know, to work on, these new series of poems and um, put so many different kind of tonal colors and music to pictures of apocalypse was, was just really extraordinary. And also Charles Baudelaire's the flowers of evil, which um, Lawrence R. Harvey reads and, and reads brilliantly. And again, I was fortunate enough to collaborate with him on that. I should note that the vampire is another one that, um, that Lawrence reads and does a phenomenal job of. And then if that wasn't enough, Lawrence, as there is never enough, Lawrence, there's also <laughs> another Rampo record. And I love the Rampo records, you know, uh, during Nightlands, a little aside, Christopher Ashley, whose Slasher Film Festival strategy um, did an absolutely mesmerizing performance with Lawrence doing The Human Chair. And that mm. was the first Rampo record that came out. Um, and then soon after... Um, Lawrence and I were fortunate enough to do the Caterpillar together, which was also performed at Nightlands. But there's a new Rampo record, and that's the Red Chamber, and it's um, it's a really fun and great listen, and uh, you know another demented Rampo story for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, so yeah, I think people are in for a treat with that. And then Mark Samuels, the author. Um, who had his first Cadabra release relatively recently. He's another living author and a phenomenal author. Um, the first uh, one was the, the, the White Hands. And now this, this next one is A Gentleman from Mexico. And for Lovecraft fans, it's a really fun and inventive story that is uh, quite unlike anything else I've, I've ever read when you know nods are given to lovecraft i don't want to give anything away but um i think people are going to really enjoy that and um as people have heard from listening to the white hands um mark is an absolutely extraordinary reader 
of his own work. He has this very kind of like gravelly, tough voice that uh, just sucks you in. And uh, I love working on Mark Samuel's records. I mean, obviously you can tell I love working on all these records. (laughs) They're all such gems and and such a treat. But, uh, you know, Mark is yet another great addition to the Cadabra catalog. And then the uh, probably around the, the end of the subscription, or it might be the very end of the subscription, is um, H.P. Lovecraft's The Rats in the Walls, is a double LP set. So, um, you know, those are all things to be very excited about. And for people that are just hearing about the label for the first time, there's a few releases that are the end of subscription 11 that haven't come out yet, but will be coming out very soon. And both those records are really awesome, too. Um, we talked about early on um, Fabio Fritzi's Zombie Composer's Cut. So that is something, you know, if you're a Fulci fan, you're a Fritzy fan, mandatory listening, um, you know, he has injected whole new life into an already legendary soundtrack. And it's just a real, real joy to listen to. And then another great Lawrence performance, him and I worked on um, Arthur Mackin's The White People. And um, that's another classic weird fiction story and a double LP set. And uh, yeah, really creepy, really strange and unusual. I'll add to this. So it's not like if you want to get into Cadabra, you don't necessarily have to like buy one of those subscription services. Like they make available all those records individually, but it's a way to help support the, the label and help support them keep doing what they're doing. But you don't have to feel compelled to like pay $300 to get a whole bunch of records in that you can buy all of the records. Yeah, I feel I would just recommend people to go on the website, find some things that stand out. If it's like a Lovecraft tale that you love from like, you know, reading before or anything that sticks with you just to give it a try, I think it's worth it. Towards that end, do you have a, like a one a favorite recording that you've done, or one of the recent ones that would still be available that you think people should give a try? Oh, geez, it, it's so tough because you know I love I love these records so much, and they're so different. So you know, some things that that are in print that um, I would recommend, and you know, really love like like. The Edgar Rampo, the Caterpillar, I think is a definite highlight. Um, Dunwich Horror, I think, is um, one of one of my favorite things that I've that I've scored. And um, the the triple for people that have who might even have the double LP set, you know, uh, a year or so ago, maybe a year and a half ago, Jonathan re-released it as a triple LP set instead of double LP set so that it had the highest musical fidelity, you know, recording fidelity of both voice and music as possible. And the mix is just perfect now. So the three LP set of Dunwich, because the two LP sold out, is just uh, a real gem in my estimation and uh, one for, for people to check out. Some other ones that are that are still in print that, that I really love um, – include uh the clown puppet thomas legati I, I think that record came out beautifully pictures of apocalypse which just came out is, is another great one as is mrs rinaldi's angel 
So there's, there's just so much to uncover and um, so many records to dive into. And just a, a quick uh, asterisk note about, um, yes, you don't have to buy subscription by all means. There's, there's no need to buy a subscription, even though it is a great support to the label. But there is only one title in subscription 12, as there is often or, or always at least one title that is not open to the general public that's subscription exclusive. And just for those that are interested, that one for this particular subscription is Flowers of Evil by Charles Baudelaire. So that's a subscription exclusive. One thing I'd say, I really, really like Gas Station Carnivals, which is a Thomas Ligotti story. Something about that particular Ligotti story and its arrangement really struck a chord with me that is really fantastic. But yeah, I, ultimately, oh, yeah. though. Yeah, I, I love I love that record as well. Um, so thanks. Um, but, you know, it's funny with, with that one. I... I love that story so much. And it's, it's one of those stories that like the bungalow house just kind of, you know, stays in my head for very mm-hmm. long periods of time whenever I revisit it. And I couldn't wait to do that record so much so that, um, I started writing music for it way before it was even a definite reality. You know, I think it was like, like, oh, you know, probably do gas stations at some point. But I think it was a, like a year or two out. But I just wanted to write the music so badly because I had I had the guitar, the acoustic, the acoustic guitar themes in my head so vividly that I just wanted to get them down. And then um, thankfully, like pretty much they all worked out exactly as I envisioned John reading them. You know, we had done enough records together at that point that I, I kind of had a sense of how he was going to read it. It was the arrangements that, that were tweaked a bit because um, he read it with a higher level of sarcasm than um, <laughs> I anticipated in, in some parts. So, uh, you know, where like there were sweeping arrangements, they had to be toned down a bit because they would have sounded out of place. But yeah, the, the record the record is great. I, I, I guess it goes without saying, or I feel like it goes without saying, if you anything you would choose to buy from Cadaver Records, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised with it. So we all maybe have our favorites, but you wouldn't be going wrong with any of yeah, them. Yeah, something about gas station carnivals in the beginning. It's like a guy sort of sitting at this cabaret with like some tea or whatever. And there's the one line that is like, when I was sitting in the Crimson Cabaret on a rainy night, I thought of myself as occupying a waiting room for the abyss, which of course was exactly what I was doing. Uh, Something about that really sticks with me. And I thought, and it kind of speaks to John's recording of it, how kind of like almost like the sarcasm in those lines about this character kind of thinking to themselves about their place in the world is just really, I don't know, really moving. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's also the thing about Ligotti's work that I love so much is, um, that it has a lot of humor in it. And, you know, sometimes it's very dark humor. Sometimes it's absurdist humor. And, um, but, it's also very moving in unpredictable ways at times. And then, you know, 
but there's also these unreliable narrators and um, people that are having very intensive conversations with themselves in a variety of, of convoluted ways. And, you know, how all of that plays out is, um, is very gripping mm-hmm. Agreed. and runs the gamut of, of, of varied emotions, which, which I'm really drawn to. Yeah, no. Well, yeah, I mean, it has been really great to have you on today to just chat about Kadabra Records and all the stuff that you've been doing and the label as a whole has. It's been a, a fun chat. I guess with that, is there any like last words or things you'd like to plug or say before we uh, wrap this up? No, just thanks so much, Eric and Greg. It's It's been really fun talking to you both. And, um, you know, thank you for your ongoing support of the label and for wanting to uh, bring more attention to these, these amazing records that Jonathan Dennison is putting out into the world. Cause you know, it's a, an absolute labor of love for Jonathan and he is, you know, moving mountains to make all of this stuff happen. And I hope that f- for fans of the label, whether new or old that, you know, just uh, appreciate how much Jonathan puts into this because he's doing the work of many, many people and he's one person and, you know, he's living and breathing this stuff every single day through Kadabra and through Chiroptera. He is just so tireless in his pursuit to make Kadabra and Chiroptera the absolute best it can be. And it's a huge inspiration for me, his drive and determination and, you know, he's just a phenomenal guy to be a friend of and also to work with. So it's it's a real treat, pleasure, and, and joy to do so. And um, I, I really hope that some people listening take a chance if they haven't heard any Cadabra stuff and uh, pick up a, a record or two, a book or two. And um, I'm confident from there they'll probably catch the bug. Yeah, get reimmersed in weird fiction again if you haven't already been. <laughs> I was going to say, and maybe excite people to bust out the turntable that maybe <laughs> you haven't used as much because of Spotify or something. Give a good reason to break that out and realize that there was a reason that you have that. Uh huh. It's it's true. It's true. Absolutely. Well, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank it you. Just- really nice chatting and yeah we'll talk to you again soon thank you everybody